So I entitled my message today, Spiritual People. But I want to start with an analogy. Um, Have you ever had the thought, I need to lose some weight? Uh, No, probably not. But uh, what if I told you that I had a pill that you could take once a day and nothing else had to change and you could lose as much weight as you wanted to lose? Doesn't that sound tempting? It sounds like too good to be true, maybe. Right? Or what if I told you that you could spend one hour a week, I have, I have a plan for you to spend one hour a week thinking about exercise, about one hour a week thinking about exercise, but nothing else needs to change, and I could teach you how to lose weight by just doing that. You might want to see some testimonials, or you might want to see some, uh, some proof, right? You might, want, you might ask me, like, are you using it? <laughs> the problem is losing weight is a bad goal. Losing weight is not really a realistic thing to do. How much weight do you want to lose? And how are you going to lose the weight? We, we, we sort of know, like, taking a pill is not going to do it. Although it doesn't stop people from selling them and making them and advertising them and making YouTube videos and Netflix documentaries about the best thing that's going to just like save your life, whatever it is. And even in the, in the health industry, that's this billion dollar industry that we have, the, the sort of like idea of weight loss is no longer the, the topic of conversation. It's health, right? How can, how can we be, be healthy rather than just losing weight? So it used to be when I was a kid, you know, it's Weight Watchers, right? I think they might have changed their name. I can't remember. Some, some big thing changed their name to something else, like healthy something or other, right? And we understand that there's a difference between setting this goal for weight loss and overall being healthy. So the analogy that I'm, that I'm thinking about is this idea of spiritual health spiritual growth, spiritual maturity. This is what we're talking about in Harambe. We're going through our vision series, okay, the the Harambe vision. And I just want to put that that mission statement up there, um, slide. So our full mission statement, I'm just going to read through this again just to remind us and and help us begin to think about these things. Um, So the full statement is, by the grace of God, we're a diverse family, renewed and reconciled together with God, by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins. Because of the love of Jesus, we are compelled to share his message of reconciliation and renewal so that everyone in our community would experience the love of Jesus and be empowered to follow him into eternal life. And the short version of that is we're working together for the reconciliation and renewal of all people in Jesus. So, one of the things that, that flows out of this vision are some outcomes that we want to see, vision outcomes. And some of the outcomes that we want to see are, are the things that we're covering now in this vision series. Caleb talked about God's plan to fight against the zombie apocalypse. I don't know if you guys remember. But he talked about new birth, okay? Planting seeds of the good news of Jesus Christ to see God bring about new birth in the kingdom of God. 
another outcome that we want to see is spiritual maturity teaching people to obey and follow Jesus in the everyday things of life in every aspect of their life we want to see healthy family leveraging godly wisdom counsel and instruction for the building for building healthy families and relationships we want to see authentic community forming a people marked by unity in truth and love and diversity in expression and we want to see gospel saturation developing leaders that would go out and start new expressions of god's church god's church in other places so today i'm talking about spiritual maturity There's, it's a synonym for a lot of different things spiritual growth we could use the term sanctification um, in the scripture the word maturity spiritual maturity is sometimes used together but sometimes just the word spiritual is used to talk about someone who is more mature Paul refers to people that are spiritual. He says, I can't talk to you as spiritual people. I need to talk to you as infants. So he, he contrasts this idea of someone who's spiritual with someone who's not. So the idea is sort of spiritual maturity is someone who is spiritual. So I entitled this message, Spiritual People. And I wanted to just kind of walk through three points. Spiritual blessing. Point number one, this is God's plan. Our spiritual walk, which is subtitled God's presence, and three, spiritual maturity, which is God's purpose. I, I get bogged down when I get a topical message like this. It's like, John, I want you to preach on spiritual maturity. And then I want to write like a theology on it. You know, that's like, and I want to preach for like, you know, 16 hours. Because there's just like so much to say about spiritual maturity. And so... It's hard for me to like narrow it down. So I chose to lean on the book of Ephesians as we've been drawing of the vision for our church out of the book of Ephesians, which is a sort of a seminal book in the New Testament when we talk about what the church needs to be. Some, some have called Ephesians the constitution of the church to use the analogy to our, to our government. So Ephesians is a great place to sort of dig into and say, what does maturity look like through Ephesians? So I read those passages from Ephesians because we see the trajectory of Ephesians is Paul's explaining the gospel. It's, sort of, it's six chapters, and the first three are the gospel, and the second three are the implications of the gospel. Or the first three are, are the indicative, right? This is who you are. This is the reality. And then the last three are the imperative. Because of who you are, now you can live like this. You no longer have to live like this. And so as we walk through this, I just want to start out by looking at spiritual blessings, point number one. And this is God's plan. So the foundation for spiritual maturity is God's spiritual blessings. And when we, to, to go back to my introduction a little bit, when we think about the idea of health, of overall health, we think about weight loss. What happens when someone goes on a diet to lose weight? They lose weight, and then they reach their goal, and then it's like, okay, I can stop dieting now, right? Oh, I can go back. And then you go back, and then you, you go back into the same, the same cycles that you were in. Health is a lifestyle. Health is a way of living, a way of, of interacting with the world, versus just having a, a, a goal that you attain. And spiritual maturity is not something that you arrive at. Spiritual maturity is actually, some, it's a journey, it's a, it's a walk, it's a way of living that the Bible calls us to. There is growth in this journey, but there's, you're never going to sort of arrive and then say, okay, now I can stop. Now I can stop studying. Now I can stop learning. 
I have arrived. I'm spiritual, you know. I've transcended uh, all of these, these other people. And we see this happening in the scripture even. So spiritual maturity is not a destination as much as a journey. And this journey begins with the blessings of God. This journey begins with, it's founded upon the gospel message. We see in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are, we, we are united with Christ. All praise to God who has blessed us. He's talking about those that have received the message of the gospel, those who have put their trust in Jesus and his work on the cross. And he's blessed them with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So we, you, when you put your faith in Jesus, you're made right with God by faith. That's the good news of the gospel. There's forgiveness of your sins. Your record is expunged. It's wiped clean. It's taken away. And God makes you right in his sight, and he unites you with Christ. And this, because of this, because we are united with Christ, we receive every spiritual blessing. This is the foundation of spiritual maturity. This is where spiritual maturity or the journey starts. If you, if you don't have this blessing, if you're not united with Christ, you can be a spiritual person for sure. You can interact with spirits, and you can act funky, but you're dead inside. You don't have the spiritual life that God is promising to us. Caleb talked about this in New Birth. Ephesians talks about walking in the deadness of our trespasses and sins. Yeah, we can function and we can be all spiritual and, and you know, all this kind of stuff. But God is promising something entirely different. He's promising new spiritual life that infuses our body and unites us with Christ and transforms who we are from who we used to be, and it begins a process of transformation. It's like an immediate switch. He embraces us and says, you're my beloved child. You're in my family now, but I'm not going to leave you the way you are. You're going to grow up, and I'm going to give you new life to do that. And so we begin a journey because of these spiritual blessings. Ephesians 1.9 continues, Now God has revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God for which he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. The spiritual blessings that we receive are because of God's plan. This is the plan that God has, that you would receive new life in Christ and begin to grow. This is what he has purposed for us, for those that put their faith in Jesus. And we receive an inheritance in God. We're like one of those trust fund babies now. We own everything. We don't get it yet entirely, but we have everything that we could ever need. I was going to say you're like a spiritual Paris Hilton. That's probably not a good analogy, right? No, it's not. Can't think of anybody else. <clears throat> we receive an inheritance because we are united with Christ. And this is God's plan, that he would bring together everything under the authority of Christ in heaven and on earth. 
So where does this maturity begin? It's founded on the blessings of God. It's a process that begins when God transforms us. And we begin, there's a sense in which we're immediately spiritually mature. And then we're already there and we're not yet there. That's the reality. It's It's a phraseology that you'll hear often as you study theology. Already but not yet. We're already declared righteous in God's sight because of what Christ has done. When we receive by faith the work that Christ has done for us on the cross, God just doesn't say, all right, you were bad before. Just try not to do bad anymore. I'm not going to think about that stuff and just go forward in the damaged, tainted person that you are. Do your best to make yourself better. No. When we receive the righteousness of Christ... It's like God takes Christ's whole life, his perfect record, and gives it to us. And then when he sees us, it's like we've always been perfect. That's the amazing message of the gospel. The righteousness that God gives to us is Christ's righteousness, not our own makeup righteousness or our own imperfect. There is no such thing. We receive the righteousness of Christ. We're made perfect. It's as if we've always been obedient. But yet we need to learn to walk into that righteousness that we've received. And so we begin this process of spiritual maturity. God's plan does include us, right? But it's not necessarily for us only. Ephesians says that God has done all these things so that we would praise him and glorify him. So that we would look... When we receive these blessings, blessing means happiness, right? God gives us spiritual happiness. He gives us blessings that make us blessed. It's one of those words that's hard to define. Like, what do you mean by blessed? Well, blessed. I'm I'm blessed. That's what I mean. I'm happy. Happy is too weak. Blessed is better. God has blessed us in Christ. And so we praise him. We say, thank you, God, for the blessings that you give And then in that life of receiving spiritual blessing and praising God, people overhear us and we glorify God in that. We praise him and we glorify him. So when we we live a life that praises God, it glorifies God because people say, like Nate's friends, like, why are you doing this? Like, how can you live this way? Like, where does this hope that you have within you come from? How come you don't hate the Pashtun people, you know? Like, they're such bastards. Like, we can say, no, we've been reconciled to Christ. In fact, Christ is breaking down all of these walls of division that separate us. And he's, he's given us a blessing so that we don't have to hold grudges against other people. He's forgiven us everything we can forgive other people. These spiritual blessings just continue to bless us. And then we can glorify God in that because people begin to see so to glorify God in the, 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 such a Christianese word, and I always feel like I need to expound on that because I just, I'm just, I just don't like Christianese, you know? I don't even like Christians. And uh, glorify God, glory is your intrinsic value, so to speak. The intrinsic value of God. God's glory, the word is translated weight, like he's heavy. It's kind of like he's, he's really heavy, man. This is heavy. And... Uh, God's, in, God's intrinsic value, when we glorify God, when we, when we live that kind of life, we're showing other people what the value of knowing God is. They're able to see that God has changed our lives, has affected us in such a way that they want some of that. Like, what is it that you have? What hope, why do you have hope? Like, why aren't you this or that or the other thing? What is it? 
How come you totally did me wrong, but then you asked for forgiveness? <laughs> like, you tried to make up for it. Like, what's going on here? God, God changed me. We can say, like, there is an intrinsic value to knowing God, and he is worth knowing. And that's what to glorify God means. So God's plan is that we would receive these spiritual blessings, live a life of praise that glorifies him, and we begin this journey. <clears throat> and part of his plan is that we would know him. This plan is not just that we would be blessed with stuff. You guys might have heard if you've been around the church, we seek the gifts and not the giver, right? Like some people kind of have turned God into this give to get scheme, right? Like if you, you're going to be blessed, you're going to get your blessing. Of course, it goes through me, right? <laughs> if you give me and my ministry, God's going to bless you and this and that. And, you know, there's, so, there's a whole bunch of truth wrapped up in that. That's, that's why it still lasts. That's why it still has like traction in people's lives. But it's not true. It's a lie. You don't give money to God to get more money. He's not like a big slot machine or like a, a huge cosmic sports betting thing. God is someone who is going to bless you and help you to be generous when you give generously. But not the motivation is what's going on there. And it's not even the amount. Caleb talked about that a few weeks ago. And so God wants us to know him. So the, the journey of spiritual maturity begins with a blessing. And it begins in knowledge of God. We, we learn about God. Like, hey, oh, here, here's what God's like, huh? I didn't know that. And we, we see this in the scripture. He has given us a couple ways to know him. Nature. We look around at nature. Romans chapter 1 says, They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky, and through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. First Peter, or Second Peter chapter 1 talks about God's word. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. So God desires a relationship with us. He blesses us because he knows us and he wants us to know him. And he invites us not just to know about him, but to know him in a relationship this is why spiritual maturity doesn't have an ending point. It would be like having a friend, like, oh, I'm friends with Ivory. He's five foot eight, 200 pounds. But I mean, you know, something around there. Uh, he wears glasses. Like, I could just spout out his attributes and be like, yeah, you know, I know everything about Ivory. I could just stop hanging out with him now. I need to go make another friend. Like, to be able to, to, to just spout out attributes about someone is not to know them. That to, to be a friend is a lifelong endeavor. God's inviting us into friendship with himself, into a relationship with himself. And that growing relationship with God is spiritual maturity. In the very beginning and all the way to the time when we're standing face to face with him. And that time's coming soon. Time flies. We were just having this conversation the other day, right? Time flies. Whenever I think that, I think to myself, someday I'm going to be standing in front of Jesus and I'm going to be thinking, 
Wow, time flies. Jesus, you know, I was planning on blum, 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 you know. Too late now. Of course, I won't be standing, right? I'll be kneeling down. Whatever. Every, every knee will bow. But God wants us to know him. This is why spiritual maturity is not a process or a certificate or, or has an end. It's a lifestyle. It's a journey. It's a walk. It's a walking it's a relationship with God. The scripture refers to that as a walk. The way that you live your everyday life is your walk. That's how you kind of work out life. <clears throat> so God wants us to know him. Paul prays for us in, in Ephesians chapter 1, which I read. He, he prays asking God to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. And he expounds on that. But he prays for the spiritual wisdom and insight so that we would grow in our knowledge of God. And he, uses, he doesn't use a general word of like knowledge about God. He uses a word that means a knowledge of sort of personal relationship or a knowledge of experiential relationship. So there's a difference between like reading a book about electricity, like, oh, electricity is a circuit and it flows like water, blah, 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 the amps, and sticking a fork in a light socket, okay? You know like, oh, electricity is powerful. It's very powerful. But when you stick that fork in the light socket you know it, it is powerful. That's the kind of knowing that is going on here. Paul wants us to know God on a whole different level than just sort of like book knowledge. He wants us to ex- have an experiential knowledge of who God is and be in a growing relationship with him. And God makes provision for us to do that by giving us his Holy Spirit. So this journey of spiritual maturity is a, is a growing relationship with God In Ephesians chapter 2, he says, You're members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. God is, each one of us is sort of like a brick in God's building that he's building. And he's, he's carefully placed us together. Think about that. He's the one that brought us, this people in this room, together for his purposes, so that we would become a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. This is point number two. Spiritual maturity is, is a walk in God's presence. God, God doesn't say like, all right, here's your blessings. Here's, here's a bunch of knowledge about me. And here's the starting line. Go for it. In fact, when God brings us into Christ, some people think, oh, I'm saved, you know. I passed the finish line. I'm done, like, the race is done. No, coming to Christ, putting your faith in Jesus is the starting line. It's, it's the beginning of a journey, of a race. The, the scripture uses all of these, these terms. Paul says, I've run the race. I've fought the good fight. He never really describes it as, I've been perfectly healthy and prosperous my whole life and, and totally happy, and I've achieved the American dream. That's, that's not in the scripture anywhere. It's, it has different, different ways of describing it. And so God calls us not only to walk with him, but he comes to walk with us by his very presence, the presence of the spirit. So spiritual maturity is not just something that we grow into on our own. It's like we receive the presence of God. I love the terminology, his empowering presence. The Spirit is God's empowering presence in our lives. 
Because there's a deadness, there's an incapacity, there's an inability in ourselves to do anything but be religious and try to make ourselves right with God and try to show him that we're going to do what's right next time. But we already know we've failed and we, we just continue to fail. And when we run up to, the, when we see the rules, all they do is condemn because we already know we've broken the rules. So God gives us his spirit his, his indwelling presence, his empowering presence to enable us to begin to walk out the life that he's called us to, which is relationship with him, not keeping a bunch of rules. The rules actually only show us that we need Christ. They show us that there's no hope for us. And so his spirit comes to indwell us. It says, in uh, Ephesians chapter 1. When you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit who he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he has promised and he's purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Excuse me. <coughs> the Spirit brings new life. We are new creations. Not, don't think of this as an individual thing, like, oh, I'm a new creature. I'm some sort of superhero now. No. We're given new life that brings us into a new organism. The body of Christ, the family of God. It's not an individualistic call. So spiritual maturity is never going to be achieved by Rambo of spirituality. Maybe I'm dating myself by Rambo, right? He was a sort of lone ranger even that's even worse, right? I'm going backwards. I don't know. I don't know where to go forward, right? Superman. I don't know. God has called us into a new community, a new family, a new reality that's not seen as an individualistic trajectory of self-help, and I'm going to make myself better. I'm so sick of people thinking to themselves like, oh, I'll get back to church once I take care of myself, once I get better. We don't want you. We don't want self-righteous people to come to the church. If you think you're doing good, Go somewhere else. If you can be honest that you are dependent on Christ's righteousness, then come and be part of our family. Self-righteousness is the worst. I should know. No, well, yikes, I'm doing it. So what are we devoted to? This idea of devotion, this idea of being of a daily walk is something that comes out in Scripture. And God has given us his presence to walk with us in this. This is this great promise that we have that Peter referenced. I'll never leave you or forsake you. God never leaves us. We turn our backs on the Spirit sometimes. <laughs> we grieve the Spirit, the Scripture says. We quench the work of the Spirit in our lives. Sometimes when we want to go our own way and walk in disobedience, we, we want to tune out the Spirit, right? Right? But he's never going to leave us or forsake us because it was never our plan to begin with. Oh, I think I'm going to hook up with the Holy Spirit and get some work done. No. He came and said, you're going to be part of my people. You're going to grow and, and come together with a community of people that is going to praise and glorify me by, by my power, by my ability. And so the Spirit, it brings new life to us. We're new creations. And, and this idea of walk, spiritual walk, the idea of walk is this idea of the daily routines of life or our habits, right? You can tell what you're really trusting in 
by sort of stepping back and looking at your habits. That's what you really trust in. That's where you really think you're getting life from, is from the habitual things that you do. You could say routines, habits, patterns. There's ways that we live. Have you ever just jumped in your car and started driving without even thinking, and then you're just on the freeway headed to work? And you're just like, oh, what did I do? How did I get here, right? Like, I've been checking my email for a half an hour. No. You, we, you drive by autopilot, right? Because hab, that's why habits are so hard to change. Habits are stuff that we just do habitually. Even brain science is catching up, like teaching us about habits. We've discovered they, they're testing rats, you know, because we're really similar. And uh, so they put rats in a maze and they give them candy, Okay. And they discovered that the first couple times the rat's brain is just going off. He's scratching everywhere and sniffing and being just a rat, you know. And then he finds the, the candy eventually. And after like a hundred times, he just knows where the candy is. And so when they put him in the maze, his brain fires up and he goes, oh, this is the candy maze, right? But then his brain shuts off when he, he habitually just walks to the candy. And then when he gets to the candy, his brain comes on again. And he's like, oh, here's my candy. So... What we discover is our brains sort of shut off during habitual things. That's why habits are so hard to change. Because you just do it without thinking about it. You're not, you're not really examining it. Like, is this a good thing for me to do? Is it bad? You, in fact, don't want to think about it. You want, your brain wants to be off during that time. And God is saying, I want you to think about it. I want you to understand yourself because I understand you. I want you to examine your habits. I want you to examine your walk. In fact, I'm going to start shining a light on some of these things. And I want, to, I want you to start growing out of these things. Thank God, you know, that we grew out of the habit of diapers, right? Diapers would be a super convenient thing. <laughs> we laugh. You laugh. Why, why, why would you laugh at that? That's true. But it's funny because you think like that is, that's not right. An adult shouldn't, you, John, you shouldn't be wearing diapers and like even think about using diapers. You should be more mature than that. You're right. It, it's, it is like hysterical in a sense. But we, God is, is coming to make a difference in our habits. So it's like when you're walking alone, when you're living alone, when you kind of do your own thing, and then a friend comes along and they're like, why do you do that? Why is your room so filthy? What do you mean? This is normal, you know, this is normal for me. Like another perspective comes in and begins to help us understand our life and our habits. And God is the perfect perspective. God is the loving perspective. God is the righteous perspective. God is the one that comes into you and says, hey, I made you and I know what you're for. I know what I made you to do. And these things are keeping you from that. In fact, God wants us to be able to express the best expression of who he made us to be that can be expressed. And he's going to make us more and more like who he made us to be because ultimately it's going to express Christ in us. And expressing Christ in us doesn't mean that you have to get your hair cut like him. And try to like act like you look like him. <laughs> Who would do that? It means that you're a special creation of God. And people say, what is it about you? 
I remember, I, I learned this a long time ago when I would meet somebody and I'd say, man, I really love hanging out with this guy. And then it was like the Spirit said to me, not in words, but it's not him, it's me. It's, it wasn't something special about this guy, it was Christ in him. And I, I even get to say that, like, oh, you know, hey, it was fun hanging out with you, like, well, maybe, like, but just know, like, anything good that you've got from me is Christ. Christ in me. Jesus changed me. He has made me a totally different person. But I still express my personality. He still expresses who I am. And that brings strength to the community that he has because he's not trying to make a whole bunch of robots. He's not trying to make a homogenous unit, movement. He's trying to, he's trying to bring together a diverse people like we, we said in our vision. Because that really begins to glorify God. We're like, how, why are you hanging out with that person? You know, you know those people are not, shouldn't be hanging out with those types, right? Whatever, however, we, we love to classify by color in our society. Horribly. We think that the your color of your skin would actually change something inside of you. But it's ingrained in us. I'm not trying to belittle that. Like, we see the world through the lens of race. We're like an overly racialized society. And God wants to say, you know what? those people can come together and demonstrate unity in the spirit and that will glorify me to the people outside because that's ultimately what heaven is going to look like every tribe tongue nation and language together praising god before the throne and so how do we change a habit then We, we know what we really believe. We know who, what we really trust when we examine our habits. We know what we really think. I really think that this cup of coffee in the morning is going to give me life. <laughs> because I don't got time to pray or read the word, but I got time to make coffee. Right? And this is not a message of condemnation, okay? So don't let your legalism get all fired up and start thinking, I'm going to do better, because you can't. God has given you the Holy Spirit to help you do that. This is not a message of woe unto you, you lack of disciplined people. That one already came. That's why we came to Christ. And he, but it was his plan to show these things to us. So if you're convicted by something today, not condemned, but if you're convicted by something, let the Spirit speak into that. Listen to the Spirit in that. And ask the Spirit to help you with that. When God brings these things to mind, God is not the accuser of the brethren. God is not the one who's saying, you always do this, and you always... God says, you are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Because of what Christ has done, that's incredible. The enemy's keeping track. You know what, the other day you said the F word. <laughs> you're this and that. You're, you're a mother effer. Like, the accuser comes in with these things. That's condemnation and shame. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you put your faith in Christ Jesus, you don't have to walk in condemnation anymore, but you do have to grow. That's God's plan for you. God has given you his spirit to make you grow. He's not going to leave you on your own. And so when we think about our habits, now go back to the beginning. If someone came to you and said, you know, you, you only have to think about exercise once a week for about an hour, and everything's going to change. And, you know, I'll show you how to do it. You wouldn't believe it. You know too much. I'm looking at everyone in here is mature enough. 
Maybe you, the little guy over there doesn't understand, but everyone else probably understands that that's not going to be good enough, okay? You're not going to get ripped. You're not going to be, you know, whatever it is, whatever the current illusory ideal of beauty is that's being promoted through Photoshop in the media. You're not going to ever get there, but one hour of thinking about exercise is not going to get you there. Now, physically, we know that's true. What about spiritually? Do we think to ourselves about one hour a week of thinking about God is going to help me mature spiritually? Like, what do our, what do our habits say about what we think about spiritual maturity? What are we devoted to? And how are we pursuing that growth? Because we're free to pursue it. God is saying, further up and further in, like, come and get to know me. There's a picture from a book, C.S. Lewis, The Last Battle, from the Chronicles of Narnia. Maybe you've read it, maybe you haven't. But when they sort of get into this heavenly realm, this, this place, they just keep going further, 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 further. They're just running. They're just happy to go toward God, right? But he's infinite, and they're just running faster and faster, and then they're flying, and it's really, you know, it sounds weird. You got to read the story. But I always think about that, because God keeps inviting us to himself. He keeps saying, come, you, there's more. There's more to this. There's more to spiritual life than sort of feeling bad about yourself, going to church, pretending everything is all right, and just kind of getting by. There's a relationship with the living God to be had. There's a growing reality of knowing who God is and listening to the Spirit and being sensitive to what the Spirit says and being obedient even to the Spirit to the point where He could use us to to accomplish His will. It's an amazing thing that God is inviting us into. And the door is wide open when you put your faith in Christ. So how, how are we to express this spiritual walk, this spiritual maturity? Uh, Paul says in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort, effort? Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. What does spiritual maturity look like? Like, how could we describe it? Here, here, here's a description. Humble gentle, patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. In case you didn't know, people in the church are going to have faults. And spiritual maturity makes allowance for each other's faults. Spiritual maturity doesn't say, you shouldn't be in church or I shouldn't be in church, or you need to do this or that, the other thing. Like, it's not, it doesn't say, and spiritual maturity excuses their sin. (laughs) 
It makes allowance for faults because of love. I love this person. It's like our children's relationship. When you, when you have a relationship with kids, they're selfish little jerks. But I make allowance for their faults. Like the babies, Nate and Carrie just had two babies at the same time. They don't care about Nate and Carrie. They just want to be fed and they want to sleep and they want to be comfortable all the time. Like babies, come on. But we don't hate on them because of the love that we have for them, because of the connection that we have with them. God's given us these things to help us understand how he feels about us. We're babies compared to God. He makes allowance for our faults by his grace, and he's calling us, his people, to love one another so much that we could maybe allowance for each other's faults. There's not going to be any other way to see racial reconciliation in the church than to make allowance for someone else's faults. Listen to Martin Luther King on that. So what are you devoted to? That's the question. What does your walk look like? I'm challenging you today to go home and think about your habits and think about your walk and examine those things and ask yourself, what am I devoted to? Where do I think that I get life from? Because God's promising life and it's a true promise. And there are other promises of life. There are counterfeit promises of life that sometimes we go to. In Acts 2.42, we see maybe an outline. And I've, I've shared this before. Maybe, you, maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't. It talks about the birth of the church on the, in, in, in Acts. And it, it talks about this time where the church came alive and, and many people were added. And it said, all the believers devoted themselves. Okay, devoted is a daily focus. You're, you're focused on something. It's an enduring focus. That's why people write books called devotionals. And then when you get the book, you're like, oh, cool, I want to read this book. But it's like, read this one today and read this one tomorrow. And, and then it's like, oh, I can't scan read the whole thing. Like, that's where I, that's where I, you know, that's one of my faults. Devotion, it means daily. So these people were devoted to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, sharing in meals, and prayer. That's a pretty simple outline. That could be something to think about, like how could I begin to have a daily focus on these things? The apostles teaching, it means the word. The apostles were teaching the Bible to them. It means the gospel. Are you learning? Fellowship, it means your partnership in Christ. It means a business partnership. It means you came together, like Ross and I come together, because Jesus is our fellowship. I don't like Ross. No, I'm just <laughs> But Christians are called together in a fellowship, which is a partnership around Christ. He's the center of it. That's why we come together. That's why we don't have to let the world's divisions keep us apart, because we could actually be, have a fellowship around Christ. Not around other things, music, preaching style, blah, 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 whatever it might be. What would it look like to have a fellowship that was around Christ? But this says they were devoted to that partnership, that fellowship. They were devoted to sharing in meals. That's kind of like an easy one. We all eat, generally, at different times. 
and sharing a meal doesn't have to be some kind of blown up thing. It could just be like, hey, we're having lunch anyways. You want to come and have lunch with us? Or Micah and Kim, like, hey, we're going to make soup for everyone. Come over and have lunch at our house. Sitting down and eating with someone is just a natural human thing to do. This passage also refers to the Lord's Supper. It's clear because it uses the term breaking of bread. So we're devoted to weekly the Lord's table, breaking of bread, communion, sharing in Christ's table. I love how Jared explained it last week. If you were here, we had a, the, uni- the United, what's it called? Combined service with a uh, new story. And Jared said, Jesus is inviting you to his table. That, that picture just kind of stuck in my mind. Like I get to go eat with Jesus. And in fact, it's his body and his blood that he's offering to us because that's our righteousness. We remind ourselves every week of it. So they're devoted to these things. Ephesians talks about this idea of walk throughout. Ephesians 5. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Ephesians 5.8. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live or walk as people of light. And Ephesians 5.15. This is, this, is this is a good one. Be careful how you walk. Don't walk like fools. I'm sorry. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. When you break down that sentence, like when you look at the original, it uses the same word for wisdom. It says, walk, careful how you walk. Examine how you're walking. And don't walk as someone who is, uh, it uses the word wise. Why Why am I losing it? What is it? It uses the word fool. What was that? No, no, sorry, sorry. I forgot it. I forgot the word. Anyways, it uses the word, Greek word for wise. And it uses the same word. It says, walk as someone who is wise, which means someone that applies what you know. Someone that takes the knowledge you have. Knowledge and wisdom are different. Wisdom is the application of knowledge, right? So it says, walk as someone who does what you know, not as someone who... And then it uses the same word, but it puts an A on the front of it. So we, this A is a, a negation of it, right? So it's, that's where we get the word agnostic or atheist, right? Some, someone is a theist, that means they believe there's a God. Someone's an atheist, I mean, the A means no God. So in Greek, when you put the A on the front, it means nothing. So this verse, it says the same thing. It says, walk as those who are wise, not those, not those who are all-wise, right? It just adds an A on the front of wise. It means to be without wisdom. And, the, and we translate that as foolishness into English because that's kind of what it means. Because when you see somebody that just did something terribly stupid and foolish, you, the first thing you think is you knew better than that. Why did you do that? Didn't you know better? And if they didn't, then you feel bad, right? Oh, I'm sorry, you didn't know, you know, that you shouldn't have done that. But if they totally knew, like your kids, right? Like I told you not to do this, and here you are, you know? That's foolishness. It's foolish not to do what you know. That's, what, that's where the, how the idea comes across. But it's the same word in, in the Greek. Be careful how you live. So it's careful means to consider, to look at, to understand how you live. Are you living as someone who does what you know? 
or someone who doesn't do what you know. Jesus said it like this. The wise man is someone who builds his house on the rock. And when the storms come and they they tear into this house, it stands up underneath the pressures of life. The foolish man builds his house on the sand. And when the storms come, they tear down this house because it doesn't have a foundation. And then he says, how does he compare the two? The wise man is the one who hears the word, my words and does them. And the foolish man, they're in the same church. He's the one that hears my words but doesn't do them. That's the only difference. They both heard it. They both listened. They probably both nodded and said amen. Unless they're in a white church, then they just slightly nod, perhaps. <laughs> I'm guilty. Come on, now. I, I, you know it's on me too. But I do feel bad, like last week, for Brother Joffrey who's preaching to all of us, and I know what it feels like to get the stare of the. I know you're all paying attention, and I know you're with me because I know you. But uh, it's hard to tell otherwise. You know, like it'd be a tough poker room sometimes. <clears throat> so Jesus is saying the same thing. The wise man hears the words and does them. The foundation holds. What's the foundation though? Like what is this all built on? The spiritual blessings and plan of God. It's built on the gospel. If this is built on your own effort or your own desire, your own gumption, your own bootstraps, I'm gonna be a better Christian. You don't even know how to be a better Christian because you haven't, you haven't let the Spirit speak into you what needs to change. I remember working with young people and it's like, you know, they're smoking pot back there. I'm like, yeah. It's like, what's the gospel? Stop smoking pot and then thou shalt be saved. I'd rather say like, why are you smoking pot? Well, I'm trying, I'm trying to deaden the pain. I'm trying to get away from this life. This life's horrible. Yeah, you're right. Because you're dead in your sins. Turn to Christ. And then I'll let the Spirit say, at some point, stop smoking pot. And when the Spirit says it, then it's time to do it. If we start out with that, I'm not saying like, you know, smoke pot, although it's legal now. I'm just saying the Spirit can help us grow in the ways that we need to grow and address the things that need to be addressed because he knows us, he made us. He's the one that wants us to be the us that he made us to be. And it's our foolishness that gets in the way. And so we've got this outline of these spiritual gifts. So lastly, I want to say this. I know I'm going too long again, of course. John chapter 15 I want to encourage you that this is a matter of faith, not a matter of guilt and shame. This is an opportunity to take what you know and begin to believe it. Once you believe it, you do it. Because the the relationship of God begins with God making the move in the gospel to bring us to himself so that we could know him. And once you start to know somebody, you begin to trust that person. So I said, when your routines of life and your habits of life begin to tell what you're devoted to, it it speaks of who you trust, who you really trust. And the knowledge of God is to lead us to trusting in him. Trust and faith are the same things. That's the same word when we talk about our faith. 
we could define the word faith as to consider trustworthy. So for us, trust and faith are the same thing. God is calling us not to have faith in some weird sort of a blind way that I know it ain't true, but I'm just going to believe it. No, the faith that we're talking about is based in history, and it's a trust in a person. It's a relationship with a person that's growing in trust based on the knowledge that he's given us. This is why Paul prays that they would have that experiential knowledge of God so their trust could grow. So what I'm saying today is I want to challenge you to walk out your trust, to begin to let certain habits be transformed by faith, to let this be a matter of faith. Jesus says it. In John chapter 15, he he talks about being the vine. He's the vine. We're the branches of the vine. The Father is the vine dresser. He makes sure that the branches are growing fruit. Branches that don't go fruit, they're cut off. They're thrown away. Branches that bear fruit are trimmed. Stuff, some stuff is cut away so they can bear more fruit. And he says this so that you, he says, I'm saying this so that you would have joy. But then he says this in the end of chapter 15, verses 16 and 17. He says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the, fa- my fa- the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. I, I often come back to that scripture right there. He says to his disciples, you didn't choose me. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't want to follow me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. That's the encouragement that we are going to be able to mature spiritually that we are going to be able to grow in our faith, that we're going to be able to trust God because God chose you for that. You might think, well, I decided to follow Christ. God chose you. God chose you to follow him. And that should be a great encouragement. You can rest in that because the accuser is going to say, God, you know, you already let God down. He's done with you. He's wiping, the, he's wiping his hands. He, you, God's given up on you. He's not, he didn't give up even to the point of death on the cross. He gave his life for us. So last point. Spiritual maturity is God's purpose. <clears throat> God grabbed a hold of us. God shows us so that we would become spiritually mature, meaning people who walk in close relationship with him. People who discern his will people who can listen and be obedient people who can learn and apply what they're learning it's just so much not rocket science but we make it that way sometimes and it's not about the latest book or fad or whatever it might be it's about the it's about those basic patterns of life what are we devoted to are we devoted to an ongoing relationship with god So spiritual maturity is God's purpose. He says, by grace, in Ephesians chapter 2, you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one can boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Isn't that amazing? God shows us we here we are it, it doesn't say you be well aware of that it says you plural y'all God shows us 
And we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. I'm, tell, I'm telling you that this word says that everyone here is God's workmanship together. And, and I love the way it's translated in a different translation. It says, we are his masterpiece. This is God's masterpiece? It's true because it glorifies God. What can you do, you puny, little, pathetic, dirty church that looks like a snowboard shop? That's what a lady told me. I thought that was a snowboard shop. Like, did you see any snowboards in here? Maybe it was my long hair. I don't know. We are Christ. We are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God shows you, and he's going to mature you. He's going to fill you with his presence, and he has a plan for you to accomplish things that he's already planned for you to accomplish. That's amazing. Harambe has a plan. I'm going to say it quickly. We gather together. We're devoted to the apostles' teaching. We hear the word preached on Sundays. We gather together in groups. Historically, the church has always gathered like in a bigger group and in smaller groups. Call them what you will. But they're aimed at listening to and knowing Jesus together and experiencing him and then doing what he says and helping one another with that, strengthening one another. So we gather on Sundays for corporate worship. That's when we all get together and sing the same song in agreement that this is where it says, I did this so that you would praise and glorify me. We praise God. This is the only time where we can get everyone in this room to agree on something, that God is worthy of praise. That's an amazing miracle, (laughs) especially in our society in this day and age. And we gather in life groups, smaller groups, focusing on relationship and experiencing Jesus together in the everyday things of life. And we have an even smaller group, DNA groups, where we get together with three people, two people, four people, whatever we can do, men with men, women with women, and we talk with one another, we pray for one another, we hold one another accountable, and we we just walk out this journey together. My... uh, my notes are going away on me for some reason. Sorry. Hmm. Excuse me. I'm gonna I'm gonna end with uh, Ephesians chapter four. It says, now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such a unity in our faith and knowledge 
of this God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. And he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Father, I pray that you would today lead us to the places in our lives that you're working on, that you're changing. I pray that you would help us to submit to you in these things. I pray, Father, that you would lead us, Holy Spirit, and give us the power that we need to overcome the ruts that we're walking in, to overcome the obstacles that are in our way, to overcome these, the accusations of the enemy, that you would free us, Lord, from the believing lies that are so cleverly devised they sound like the truth. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to begin to re-envision our lives as lives which are devoted to spiritual maturity, to growing spiritually, to knowing you more and more. Father, I thank you for making a way for us to come into your very presence by the blood of Christ. And I pray this prayer, Lord, with confidence in what Jesus has done. And I thank you, Lord, that you're listening to us because you've washed away our sins in Christ. Lord, but don't let us continue to struggle and not grow. Lord, help us to be a church now that begins to grow spiritually, that begins to mature. Lord, help us to know you more together. Help us to strengthen one another, Lord. Help us to understand how you're building us together. Help us to walk out what you've taught us in these things and to be united with this unity that you give, Holy Spirit. Help us to be eager to pursue that bond of unity in the church. I thank you that we can lean on your power, Lord. Give us the faith to walk these things out. And I pray against condemnation. I pray against accusations. I pray against lies in this place. I pray, Lord, for your spirit to replace those things with conviction, with rebuke, with correction, with training. Lord, bring change in our lives, we pray. I thank you that you have chosen us, Lord Jesus, that we didn't choose you, and that you chose us so that we would go out and bear much fruit. Father, help us to fulfill the plans that you've, that you've laid for us and for this church. In Jesus' name, amen. And as we each week...